That's our announcements. So we're going to be in Psalms 19, Psalm 19 this morning. If you guys want to turn there. And I had to fight for this psalm. Sean came into my office after I'd already been preparing for a couple weeks on it, and he's like, you're not doing that one. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> no, I've been studying this. He's like, no, that's one of the best ones there is. And I was like, tough luck, bud. You shouldn't have been taking vacation now. <laughs> but I was excited to get it. I was like, back off. He's like, you can do 20. I was like, nope, we got to do it in order. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's good. I'm excited to be able to teach this one. It's such an awesome psalm. And it actually, it's funny because it kind of goes along with the two psalms that I taught on last time uh, that I was up here. So, yeah, um, let's go ahead and pray for this morning, and, and we'll get into it. So, Lord, we love you, and we just thank you for the beautiful, uh, just crispy morning that you've given us, that fresh air that we get to breathe, and it just feels like you've cleansed everything. And so we love when you do that, and we're so thankful for what you give us, Lord, just living here, and uh, the blessings you pour out. We pray for our pastor, that he would be finding some rest in you, Lord, and um, thank you for giving him that time and being able to do that, and we pray for their safe travel uh, back, Lord, that they would just have, yeah, that time that they need to get away as husband and wife. And so, Lord, we also just lift up this morning to you. I'm excited to get into your word, Lord. It's such an awesome part of scripture that you've given and uh, you've ordained through David and uh, just what he talks about with you. And so, Lord, I ask that you would draw us close to you through your word, uh, that we would understand the things that are being said, and Lord, that I would be able to communicate exactly what you want to be communicated through your word. Um, Lord, I ask just your Holy Spirit be poured out on me and that um, we walk away from here just knowing how precious your word is in your creation and uh, that we can dive into it anytime and that we need to take it very serious on how important it is in our lives, Lord, especially as the end draws near. And uh, just thank you for these guys being able to come this morning. Pray for those that missed out that they'll be able to hit uh, second service. And now, Lord, just thank you for your blessings. Amen. All right, so the question I would give you this morning is, has God spoken? Has God spoken? And I'd say, yeah. Oh, I'm going to have to grab the other one. If I remember right, Brandon, I think this number two cuts out a lot. So has God spoken? Well, yes, we know. We know he's spoken, and individually he's probably spoken to you through his word he speaks to us. And, of course, this morning we're going to talk about how he does through his works, you know, his handiwork, and through his word, and then the last part of it's going to be talking about who he is and who we get to come to, and him being our rock and our redeemer is what he closes out this psalm in. And so let's go ahead and read through one through six to get started, and it says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends, the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs his course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. And so he... Right away, he's going to dive into creation, just like what he did back in chapters 8 and 9, especially 8. And, and uh, um, it's neat to see that, you know, we, we have this guy, David, right? This is king, and, and all the things he's gone through, the story we get to read of what he goes through. And there's so many times he mentions creation, and it's probably because he was out in it a lot. 
uh, those of you guys that have jobs that you get to be outside. Um, you know, he had the job of being a shepherd. And as a shepherd, you're out there nights and days, a lot of time by yourself. And so, of course, you're going to be kicking back on a nice grassy knoll, which I don't know if that exists there in Israel. I haven't seen it. But you're looking up at the stars. You're looking up to see what God has. I'll change this out real quick. No. Oh, there it is. All right. We're good to go again. Sorry about that, guys. We did do a test this morning, okay? We were diligent in our work, but it didn't cut out during that time. So with David, he is looking to the stars. He's, he's talking about them. He goes right into them, and it's like what I said when we went back over in Psalms 8, 3 through 4, and at the very end of those ones in, in Psalm 8, he talks about these things and the heavens, and then he says, what is man that you're mindful of him? And I think that he goes and he extends on that, and he goes through a little bit more, especially in verses 12 through 14 at the end of the chapter. And so we'll look into that, but it's cool to see what he's talking about and what he's declaring. And if you guys have not spent time outside, you know, especially in the summertime, uh, I would encourage, just go out there and look, especially if you guys can get up in the mountains where we don't have uh, the, the lights, you know, and get to see those stars that are out there. And it really makes you feel small. It humbles you. It's a good experience. And even in the days, it's so fun to see what God has for us and what he does in his handiwork and getting to see what's going on. Now, one of the things that I, I find interesting is if you guys, if we had nights, and this, this happens in cities where it's basically, it just looks like it's black, doesn't it? If you guys have been in a city with a lot of lights, you can't really see any of the stars, you can't really see any of the planets or any of that. But imagine if none of that was created. Imagine if we, don't, we didn't have any lights out there, no moon, no stars, no, nothing. If you went out and you looked at a black sky, what would you be thinking? Like, we're alone, right? We're the only ones that are here. It has to be because there's nothing else out there. All I see is black. Just like if you guys are in a cave and you don't hear anything and it's just black around, it's kind of eerie. It's just like I'm the only one that's here. So I have that experience when I come through the church because I, I don't turn the lights on in here and I'm just walking through the sanctuary and I'm like, yeah, I'm the only one. I can very clearly feel that I am the only one here. And that's why I think it's so neat that God has created the, the stars for us because it says, it just proclaims, it yells out, it screams that he is there. And I was able to go up to the hot springs um, a couple weekends ago, and as we were sitting there in, in, in one of those springs, you know, there's a bunch of different people that are there from different walks of lives, and everybody has to comment, and they go into these, these thoughts, you know, these, these little things that they want to go and dive into. I kept my mouth shut because I didn't want to get into that uh, with them, but just sitting there listening to them, one gentleman was talking about uh, the, the Mars mission, right, the rover that's been sent up. I don't know if you guys know that we have a, a little remote control rover that was put on Mars on February 18, and there are actually five of them now that are on the planet. And they're hoping to get them back even with some of the rocks and things. It's so cool what we've been able to do as men and go and explore what God has created. Well, they're talking about it, and what the thing was, they were like, this is so neat, I can't wait to see what's going to happen from this exploration. Like, we're finally going to find out that there's other life out there. Okay, They were so hopeful that there was going to be life in a little molecule of water or... You know, they're just looking forward to it. And the one of the guys says, 
um, to one of the women. He's like, yeah, I just, I can't look out there and think that we're the only ones here. And I was, I was just about to go into it, but I was like, just, just let them keep going. I don't need, <laughs> you know, let's just, let's see where this goes. And so that's what they were finding. And I, I found it really sad because that's where their hope was. Their hope was that they'd find some other life that they would be able to then, as the guy went on to describe, then we would know why we are here. So they're trying to find other life on another planet to give reason for why I'm here, purpose. And I was like, man, why can these people believe all this and really just want to believe it so much, but they will not believe in a God that's out there? Like they want to look for this tiny little bacteria, and that's going to give them purpose to life. And it's crazy. It's like, you guys, there's a creator out there that's created that so that you would say, yeah, we're not alone, that there's somebody looking and, and he's created this. But instead, as man is, they completely want nothing to do with that because then that would mean that they'd have to be subjective to that creator, right? That's what it ends up happening. You'd have to submit to him because that means he has the purpose and he has the design and the will for your life. And, well, a lot of them aren't ready to go that route, right? It's a sad thing. So, he goes on in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So it's two things that it's going to call out. It's calling out the glory of God. And if you guys have seen the heavens, and this is also talking about even the daytime, what you get to see in there, you should be seeing the glory of God. He's going to hit that second part when we read through it. You know, He starts turning to the glory of God and starts relating it kind of as the sun. And we'll talk about that in just a second, but... Then he proclaims his handiwork. As we study the universe and as we study this earth, we really get to see his handiwork to where it should come to a place where we can say there isn't any other explanation except for this. And I think it's sad when man turns to it and says, yeah, this is so beautiful. I love exploring all this stuff and studying all these things here. And I can't believe this all happened by chance. You know, this is all by chance and it all came from nothing. And then they call us the fool because we want to say there's a creator that has purpose, design, will, and has made all of this. But yet to them, it's nothing. And that's when David is going and he's saying, guys, this will actually, this proclaims the handiwork. There has to be something behind this. It's just like, um, you know, there's different guys that go off and they they talk in their apologetics, they go and debate these different secular uh, scientists or, you know, different uh, people um, John Lennon's one of the ones that I like listen to. He's, he's uh, awesome in what he's a mathematician, and he just explains to him, he says, you guys would never pick up a book and think that somebody else or that thing has just come from nothing, right? And not only that it came from nothing, but you guys would never say that there's nobody behind it, there's no author behind it, would you? Look at the pages, the colors, everything that's been printed. Like, this has purpose. This says somebody was behind it and had uh, determination to make this. And yet you'll look at the universe and you'll say, no way, when you can go and even just look at DNA and the same thing. DNA is so much more complex than any book that we've ever written in the way that it works together. But yeah, they look at that and say, no, that's absolutely, that just happened like a quarter being flipped in the air and landing on heads. Like that's just completely chance. It's sad that man will go there, but we know that the end thing is, is that they just do not want to recognize that there is a God that's over them. And then he goes on in verse 2, and he says, Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Again, he is talking about there's actually there's speech going on here. This is communication is happening. So day to day. I mean, we look at what's going on outside. Okay, Isn't it neat what God did these last few days? I mean, he did something that we have to have. He brought moisture to us, didn't he? He even brought it in a way that now it's stored up in the mountains for us so that it'll be given and delivered in the timing that he wants it to be delivered. 
And as we were talking with, out there, you know, with some of the guys, it's not just that rushing uh, rain that comes in, that flooding, but it's that slow letting the water out and exactly what needs to happen. And not only when it goes through the atmosphere, all the nutrients that it picks up. You know, you guys think of rainstorms even with lightning and thunder, and the lightning actually puts the oxygen in. You know, there's just this awesome, and I don't know all this, I'm not a scientist at all, guys, for sure. But it's so neat to go and study and see what God has created, and it's just so precise and exact. So even in the day-to-day, we can go out there and look at what's going on, look up at the heavens, see the clouds being moved. The wind has to happen so that it doesn't sit there and drown out a place, right? If the clouds just stayed in one spot, we'd all be bummed out like they are in Seattle, right? (laughs) It's pretty depressing. I don't know if you guys have been there. It's just... You know, or if we had sun all the time, which people love that. I, I lived in California for four years. I didn't love it. I mean, I guess when you're raised somewhere where it has four seasons, you just want to see something different than just a nice sunny day every single day. Living in the tropics, it was like your two temperature. I mean, you had a, a nice temperature. I think the coldest it got there was like 68 where we used to live, and then the highest was 81. So it's like nice temperature, but then you just have the rainy season, and you don't have the rainy season. You know, and it's kind of got boring. I love the seasons. And maybe that's because I was raised in it. Some people were like, I can't handle the seasons. I like sun all the time. Each person has their thing. But it's so neat how God has made it so that there's all this difference that happens. And it's not just because it was to entertain us in that. It's because everything has purpose. Everything has purpose. And it's mainly so that we can survive, so the animals, so everything that he's created can survive. And it's just this awesome cycle that everything goes through over and over. And so even the day-to-day, if we go out there and just pause, you get to see him. And it speaks it says, day-to-day pours out speech, like that communication that he has. And then the next one is, night-to-night reveals knowledge. And like I said before, guys, when you go out there and you study the stars, if you guys ever do that, or if you go read about somebody that studied the stars and what they've discovered, it's pretty unbelievable what the knowledge that's been grasped from that, right? This knowledge about who, what the earth looks like, the rotation, how the sun is, you know, how far, all these distances, how big our universe is. And we went through that last time in chapter 8. Of Psalms, and you get to see that wow, this knowledge just keeps building up. And so, even night to night, the knowledge just comes forth. He's written it all out there, hasn't he? So, man, again, though, will turn and say there isn't anything out there. There can't be anything out there. There's no creator that has happened. So, there's a, an astronomer and a, and a physicist named uh, Robert uh, Jastrow. And this is what he said I really like this quote. Um, I heard Guzik was, was put it in his commentary, but this is what he says. He says, For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. It's a great picture. You know, they try so hard to have this reason and mock us and say that you guys are so full of it. And yet at the end, when they get to see their Savior, they're going to be like, wow, they've been here the whole time. It's because his word was there the whole time, right? Now, verse 3. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. It is so loud through creation, guys. So loud what he has created that there is no excuse. Everyone is heard. And that's when you go back and you can ask the question. Some people have asked me, well, what happens with the people that are living in the jungle that have never heard Jesus' name? Is God going to be evil and send them to hell because they've never heard Jesus' name? Well, no. He has, he's given them everything that they need. 
And that's what it's saying here, that through creation, God is proclaimed. And I'm not saying he proclaimed Jesus' name, but he proclaims himself as the creator overall. There's an awesome book, if you guys ever get time to read this, and I've said this book before, it was one that really helped me in understanding what God's done for the different people groups on this planet. It's called Eternity in Their Hearts. It's by Don Richardson, and he goes through and talks about how these different cultures have these stories, even back to the flood and back to the fall, that are still being translated through their different groups, their people groups. There's other groups that were clear up in uh, northern India, and uh, you know, one, one group of people wouldn't let missionaries in. They, they were completely hard against it. The whole village wanted nothing to do with them. The next village the guy went to, they were like, we've been waiting for you for centuries because our fathers lost the book that they were supposed to have. They lost the book. They forsook it. And we had a prophecy. There was a guy that was going to come in on a horse, some white guy, and he was going to give us that book back. And the whole village came to Jesus. It was just cool. It's so neat. And this whole book goes on and talks about these different cultures that have these things that are in them that they've been told. Well, even the guy that's out there in the middle of nowhere, out in the jungle, that's never seen anybody else except for their tribe, they can still look up to the heavens and see. They, if not even more, are having to live off the land, right? So they're even more going to see that everything has to work together in a certain way. And you guys know you watch different shows. You go back to even, you know, looking at our indigenous people before and how they dealt with the buffalo, very different. And, uh, you know, every piece was used. And you go through and how they would go through it. And it was a very spiritual thing for them. And they did believe in a creator. But however, they got sidetracked and started believing in other deities and these other spirits. And it's unfortunate. But they did have a focus on there has to be something that created all this because they were so in tune with it and living with it. And so it's so interesting that, yeah, God has not given, or he's given it so that nobody has an excuse. And you guys probably have already thought in your mind this verse in Romans chapter 1. I'm going to turn over there and I'll read it to you real quick. Romans chapter 1, Paul goes through this too. If you guys ever have any questions about what happens with those people that don't know and haven't heard that word yet, well, Romans 1 really goes through it. Paul really hits on that. And so Romans chapter 1, verse 20, this is what he says. He says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. God is not some evil God looking at putting people in hell. That's not how it goes. He's made every way possible. He's shown himself and he's spoken. He's given knowledge through the creation, and that's what David is expressing here. This is how God has communicated with mankind before even his word as he spoke through his creation. Now it goes back, go back over to Psalm 19 and in verse 4 it says, Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world and in them he has set a tent for the sun. Now he's going to start talking about the sun and how glorious it is and just basically relating it to the glory of God. And he says in verse 5, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Now the picture that happens here, and this is one of the things that Spurgeon really loved this because the poetry that happens here in this psalm is so awesome in how he details it. I could never write like this, let alone speak like this, and how David expresses it. But the picture he draws for us is so neat because if you go out on a very dark, skyy night, it's so beautiful. We even try to mimic sometimes. We'll put tapestry up in our room or we'll put the stars on our ceiling and the glow, right? Maybe you guys don't do that anymore, but did it in high school for sure. You know, and you want to you mimic that stuff. It's fun. It's a fun thing to do. And because it's so beautiful when you go out there and lay on the ground at night when it's super clear and you just get to see how enormous it is, especially when it's so clear that you can see the Milky Way. Um, 
but with that, then you have the sun, right? And it, it comes out, and so you have this whole, it's looking like, you know, in the, new, in the King James, it says tabernacle, but that means tent. So you have this beautiful tent, this black, starry tent, and then the sun, he's talking about how it comes out of the doors. And just think about the sun rising. I hope you guys have had the privilege of being on some beautiful beach and watching the sun rise or some mountain range where you see that sun come over. And just as it comes, it looks like it's opening up the tent doors, doesn't it? As it shines forth and all those beams are just coming out of there. And it comes out, and like what he says there, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. That's just showing like the guy in his prime, like the, he's just the joyful part of being that bridegroom coming out of the tent. And then like the strong man runs its course with joy. And so it, of course, goes up and over, and then it enters back into the tent. Just that poetry there in verse 6, it says, "...is rising from end of heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat." That is another place where I love the Scriptures, because what ends up happening in the Scriptures is that it does coincide with, with science, doesn't it? It's not a scientific book, but every time it does mention something scientifically, it's always correct. It always is. The Word of God has not been proven wrong. There's some scientists that even found different places in the Scriptures, and they're like, hey, that probably exists. And so they go and search for it, and sure enough, you know, there's one, I can't remember, I'm sorry, but in the chapter that talks about the currents um, in the ocean or the waves in the ocean, and there was a guy that was sick. I can't remember his name. You guys can go look it up, Google it. Um, but he was sick on his bed. He had somebody read the Bible to him, and then all, you know, he ended up getting better, and he went out and looked for the paths in the sea, is how it's quoted in Psalms, paths of the sea, and he found all the currents. He discovered that from what the Bible had said. There's been lots of other guys that have done stuff like that. Even one of them was talking about how there must be some kind of resources in Israel under the ground because it talks about the riches that were there under the ground. They went over there, and now they found that there's a ton of stuff under the ground in Israel. So the Bible, it's not a scientific book, yet always is right in line with what we discover because it's always been there. Of course, it's written by the Creator. I I would hope that it would be that way. We'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? So in this one, in verse 6, it says that the sun has its, current, its circuit to the end of them. Now, you know this was mocked by critics for a long time because only 100 years ago, what they believed is that the sun was stationary and then the planets revolved around the sun. And so they would mock us and say, look at you guys with your little desert book. You guys are saying that the sun actually moves. It doesn't. It stays still. And we just found that out. You guys are like this mythical thinkers, and so, you know, get out of here. We believe in reason and science. Well, guess what? A hundred years ago, they found out that actually the sun is revolving around the Milky Way. And all of our solar system goes with it, but it's going around the Milky Way. Every, and I mean, it's a long, they call it a galaxy year, and it's 225 million years, our years, to get around the whole galaxy and to do one revolution. But it happens. They found out, yeah, the sun actually does have a circuit, just like what the Bible says, way before its time. And that just can, can uh, helps us to come back to it and know that it's right and it does have that truth. That very last thing he says in there is nothing that is hidden from its heat. That makes me think about Jesus, you know, just about the Lord and his glory. Like, there's nothing that's hidden from it. I mean, people try to want to run away from it, but you're not going to be able to run away from it. You go back to, you know, just thinking about uh, the different things, even known, uh, Jonah and Nineveh, like, he tried to want to run away. And God's like, no. And maybe we've even done the same thing. God's like, nope, you're going to stop right here. There's, no, there's nothing hidden from its heat. It's that intense. And so that's going to conclude just the part where David is going through and talking about creation and how awesome it is. And not just how awesome it is, but what it proclaims. 
It proclaims God's glory. It gives us knowledge about who God is, right? Just creation in itself. Now, the second part that he's going to go into, I love this second part because it's going to go in and it's going to help us discover what the Word of God is all about. Now, in these verses here, you know, in these two different sections here, uh, Charles Spurgeon says something about it and just talking about these two places. He says this. He says, He is wisest who reads both the world book and the word book as two volumes of the same work and feels concerning them, my father wrote them both. They just go hand in hand. And what we're going to see as we go through this is that there's this revelation of who God is through creation and just the power that's behind that, how big he is, you know, just what he can do, his strength. And then we're going to go into the very details of who God is, get to see the loving God, uh, the covenant God. And even as you go through this, if you guys notice in the very first verse of this uh, chapter, it says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The word used there is El. Okay? It's the most basic word used for God. El. E-L. That's it. And then as you go into verse 7, and we'll read that real quick, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, uh, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Now he goes into a different name for God, and he uses Yahweh, the covenant God, the loving God because he's about to go into the details of the Word of God. That's why the Word of God has been delivered to us, so that we even get to know more of the character of God and get to even draw closer to him and knowing who he is. So, let's go ahead and let's read uh, verses 7 through 11. I'll read 7 again. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and dripping of honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. So, he goes on and he continues and he talks about how important the word of God is. And we're going to look at it, we're going to narrow it down and get it right into seven and eight. But before we even get there, just how important the word of God is, there's another place over in Hebrews that the writer of Hebrews is also trying to express to the people, to the Hebrew people that he's talking to, how important the word of God is. That's Hebrews 4.12. And you guys might know this and may already have it memorized. But in Hebrews 4, chapter 12, I mean, sorry, reverse that. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The word of God is powerful. And he's about to go through this, and he's going to talk about it, but one thing I want to ask you guys is how many of you guys in your life love to go out and buy a new tool? You guys? Of course, right? I mean, we look forward to that. Um, hopefully, you guys get some nice ones. What about you ladies and your tools that you guys get to use too, right? You guys have tools, all right? My, my wife's got a pretty awesome drill that she won't let me touch. <laughs> I always have to go out to the garage and get it. It's in, I'm like, it's put it right here. She's like, no, you got your own. All right. There's accessories that you guys have, you know, for both. There's awesome accessories that we can have that we go out and get. Um, there's... Uh, uh, special foods that we may go out and get. 
all these different things that we like to go and, and buy that go along, and, and why do we go out and enjoy getting these things so much? And I mean, we could say, yeah, it's a fleshly thing. I know, I'm sorry. I, I buy too many tools. My wife's been telling me that already. You don't need to preach on it. <laughs> and that's not where we're at. The thing that we love to go out and do this is because of what it does for our lives. The reason I go out and I get a new tool is because it makes it a lot easier what I'm doing, right? Like even in your trade, you can go out and get something and it'll make things easier. I know with Eric, you would definitely use a dozer over a shovel. I think so. I mean, it's going to be a little bit easier work. That's what's going to happen. I get. So what makes work easier, these accessories, the, this, this food, this, you know, the, the tools, whatever it is, it makes you feel better. It can make you more confident. It can prevent sorrows in the future. It can help others. Basically, it just makes life more convenient, doesn't it? And we do live in a society, I mean, with, with being an American, we have the privilege or the ability and, and the blessing to be able to go out, and we do get to have a lot of little trinkets, don't we? I mean, you go, you go to different places in Mexico, and you basically got a hammer and a screwdriver. And you can get a lot done with that. That's, that's good. But there's nothing like, you know, all day having to do something with the, with the screws, and you got a, you got a power tool there. It makes it a lot easier. When we used to do buildings down there, we build the house in three days for people down there. We take the high scores down there. We wouldn't use any power tools. We would say, no power tools allowed. It's all by hand. So bring tape measure, pencil, hammer, and good attitude. And that's, <laughs> we needed that more than anything, right? But we go down there, and these kids are like, this is so impossible. If only I had this. If only I had this. And it wasn't the kids so much, but, man, those adults, they were the, they were the hardest problem to deal with. It was always, you know, you don't know what you're doing here. You've got to build it this way, all this. And, and if only I had this tool with me, we'd be done like that. And we're like, that's not the purpose behind doing this. We're not here just to get it done like that. That's, that's the American way of doing it. We're here to be involved with these people's lives and to raise these kids up too in doing this with hard labor. We mixed our concrete on the ground or in a wheelbarrow. That's just, it was good. It was really good for all of us. But as we have these different things, it makes our life a little bit easier as we can go and get these different tools that'll help us out. Now, to me, that sounds a lot like what happens when we get in our, into the Word of God and when we commit ourselves to it. You could apply these same things. I mean, we commit ourselves to the Word of God, uh, work gets easier, right? We feel better. We're more confident. Uh, there's, you know, prevents sorrows for our future. Uh, it helps others, and it makes our life more convenient. And I'm not saying, hey, go get into the Word of God because it's a selfish ambition of, yeah, I want to do all these. I want to feel better. That's not why we enter into the Word of God. That's the blessing we get to it from it by committing ourselves to it. That's just the blessing that comes out of it. The reason we go to it is because we want to know our Savior more. I hope that's why you go to it. I want to know his character more. I want to know who he is. And that's the same, I think, I believe, with David because he's going to talk about that. So verse 7, he says, The law of the Lord is perfect. In these two verses, in verses 7 and 8, you're going to see that he's going to mention four different things, and he's going to give the results of that. So the law of the Lord is perfect, and what does it do? It revives the soul. So the Word of God is perfect, and it revives the soul. It's so nice to have the Word of God because of what it does in our lives. If you guys look over in Matthew chapter 11, there's a lot of burdens that get thrown on us in life. And one of the retreats that we should be taking is going back to the Word of God. Going back to the Word of God and understanding who Jesus is because it will actually take that burden off when you understand who Jesus Christ is in your life. So Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus even tells them what he is, who he is. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, without having that recorded and without knowing that about the Lord, 
it's really hard to understand exactly the, the point, the details behind who Jesus Christ is. Here he is, he's calling us out and saying, why don't you come to me and give me your heavy burdens? Put it on me. You're going to find rest in me. It's perfect and it revives our souls. It brings our soul. And the, and the wording that it's used over here in Psalms is that, in the Hebrew, is that it revives it like it brings it back to life. It's a big deal. The word of God is perfect and it brings our soul back to life. Now the next one is, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So the testimony of the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God, is absolutely sure and what it does is it makes wise the simple, which I'm personally very excited about because you don't have to be this crazy in-depth scholar that spent all these years sorting through the scriptures and be like what they were back then as a scribe. And that's like your whole life is just to find meaning in the word of God. That's what he is saying here is that's not what's needed. It makes the, the simple wise. And we know in 1 Corinthians, if you guys want to turn over there, 1 Corinthians 1, 27, it also speaks to the same thing and what God wants to do with us and what he does just to mess with the world and their thinking and then their wisdom, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. Actually, I'll go back to verse 26, and we'll read 26 and 27. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. The Word of God is not something that only a scholar can tear apart and, and find the riches in it. A simple person like me can do the exact same thing. And there's been churches in history, in church history, that have actually tried to say that, that only a priest or only somebody of that stature can actually pull the riches of God, can pull the truths from the Word of God. The, the, the regular man cannot do this, and so you must come to us to receive uh, the, the testimony of the Lord in His Scriptures. And what kind of power does that give? It was just isolated to those people or that organization or that organization or that church, right? That's not what he had set up. And so David goes through that and talks about that on how it makes the wise, making wise the simple. Then verse 8 it goes on in, in Psalms 19, and it says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. As we dive into the word of God and we get in there and we see how right his precepts are and how good it is, his law, there's rejo rejoicing of the heart that happens. And so a person that may find themselves troubled or depressed or in sorrow, turn to the Word of God. Turn to the Word of God. Just like when you guys have something going on, like you're really bummed out, chocolate is the answer. <laughs> right? Some people will turn to that or ice cream or whatever. You can put whatever food you want in there. You find relief in that because there's you know, that satisfaction that happens. You're like, okay, I can do this. <laughs> However it is, or go buy, you know, a lot of people even go buy something, right? When they're finding themselves in that state, just to find some joy in getting something new. Why not turn to, the, to, to God's word for that? Why not turn to his word? There's promises right here that you're going to find rejoicing in the heart. In the heart. Like, and it's going to be everlasting. It's something that just stays there. It's not just something that's temporal and we look for something next or we actually gain some pounds off of, you know, this is purifying, this is a good thing, the rejoicing of the heart. If you guys want to write it down, you can look over in Romans 8, verse 6. I'll read it there if you, guys, you don't have to turn there. 
Romans 8, 6, this is what he says over here, and Paul says this. He, he talks about, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. We set our, thing, our minds on the Spirit, and we find that in the Word of God. The next one that he goes on to in that very last part of verse 8, he says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You guys want to find purity in your life? Guess where you can turn to? It says right here, that the enlightening of the eyes. And we know that there's so many things, evil things can come through the eyes, but his word brings purity, doesn't it? Even Matthew 6 talks about this. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is talking about what happens with the eye, and you guys might remember that part of Scripture. As he sits his disciples down and educates them on what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Chapter 6, verse 22. He says, the, eyes, or the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Jesus is calling them out, asking. And so David ends up pointing to that, and he says, the commitment or the commandment of the Lord is pure and it enlightens the eyes. Now, the next verse we go into, this is verse 9. He stops giving the what happens. He stops, you know, he talks about the word of God, how awesome it is, but then he doesn't give the result from it. He just says it is like this is fact. So verse 9, he says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And just naming facts there, the fear of the Lord is clean, it's enduring forever. When you go through the Old Testament, it talks about the fear of the Lord over and over again, doesn't it? That trembling, that respect, that, that God is in control. I absolutely can trust him. I understand who he is, creator of the universe. I want to just submit to him. I want to fall before him. I want to worship him. That's eternal. It says enduring forever. It's clean. Then the rules of the Lord are absolutely truth. You guys want to find truth in this world? You look to the word of God, right? That's where we go. And they're righteous altogether. That's where we find righteousness. Now, verse 10 to speed it up because I'm seeing that I'm losing time here. Verse 10, he goes on and he says, more to be desired than gold. Now this is going to come from a, a perspective of one of the richest men that's ever lived, okay? Now we know his son Solomon was rich, but sometimes we don't think of how rich David was. You know, David is the one that funded the whole temple that Solomon was going to be building, which was unbelievable. I mean, it was the best temple ever. And people used to come from all over the world to come and look at it. But he's the one that funded that. David knew what riches were. And now watch as he translates and he talks about the word of God in as far as how important it is and what the value is behind the word of God. He says in verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold. And now he goes in his poetry, you know, they usually would mention one thing and then he'd step it up even one more notch. And he says even much fine gold. So not as it just like regular gold, but it is like the best gold you could ever find. It's so much better even than that. And then he goes on, it's sweeter than honey. And drippings of honeycomb. So he says it's honey, and back in this time, honey was one of the best things you could get. That was like the delicious item, okay? That was where you found some just sweet deliciousness. That's where you would run to if you were depressed, okay? No chocolate, it's honey back then. And then even more, if you guys wanted the best, purest form, you go to the honeycomb, like dripping right off the honeycomb, and that's what you would have. That was like the best, and he says that the word of God, his law, is sweeter than that. Sweeter than anything you guys could ever put in your mouth. Moreover, in verse 11, he says, By them is your servant warned. To keep them, there is great reward. 
It satisfies, doesn't it? The Word of God. It satisfies everything that we desire and everything that we're after. Now, I find this interesting because think about what David had at this time. Now, he's looking at the scriptures. This is rich. Do you guys know what scriptures he had at this time? He had the Pentateuch, which was the first five books written by Moses, okay? He probably had Job, one of the oldest ones, maybe uh, uh, Esther. And then uh, he had some Psalms. There's some Psalms written by Moses, so he probably had some of those. And it was very little what he had. Yet he's proclaiming how awesome and how valuable these are and how sweet they are. Can you imagine if David were able to sit down and read the Gospel of John? I mean, he just has these, these first few books that sometimes we'll even go through and say, this is a hard read, you know, this is, this is tough to get through because this is boring. I don't want to learn about numbers. But yeah, he has these and he's proclaiming these are the richest thing you'll ever find on this earth. This is the sweetest thing that you will ever put into your body. It's the best thing you could ever imagine. And yet, he did not even have the gospel yet. He didn't have the completed word of God like we have. And I hope you guys see how important this is. We'll go out and we'll go and find things to find pleasure and get our, you know, bring into our home and, and bring into our lives. Yet, very rarely do we look at the importance of God's word. And maybe it's because over time it's become dull to us because we've been raised in it since we were little kids or we've been walking in so many years and we've already found the truths that we think we could find. And maybe we've already changed the things that we thought he wanted us to change and so we've kind of backed off from it all. Or maybe it's just because we've gotten so distracted from the world around us that we submit ourselves to those different things. And I plead, just like David is saying, you know, return back to the Word of God and remember how awesome and sweet and powerful and beautiful and everything that we could ever want, everything that's going to fulfill us will come from the Word of God as we learn about the Savior and who He is, His character and who He is to us. That even He is the Word, right? As John says. It is so rich, guys. What do we have here? And so that's where he's done. He's talking about how awesome it is, and then he moves into another thing, and he's going to come into a personal stance with the, with the Savior. In verse 11, he says, Moreover by them your servant is warned. So he's going to the warning that we receive from the Word of God, and he says, In keeping them, there's a huge reward. There's a huge reward in keeping them. So verse 12, Who can discern his heirs? And he's talking about a man, okay? Who can discern his heirs? How can we discern our heirs? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So who can discern his heirs? Guys, we would not know heirs if it were not for the word of God, right? Without his law, we would not know how far we're missing the mark. We still would have a conscience. I mean, we can even see that back to the Garden of Eden. There was only one word that was proclaimed, don't eat of this tree. They did. Conscience came in. They went and hid themselves from God. But we have the word of God that's very detailed and saying, here's where the mark is missed. And, and it's, yeah, you think you got it going on. If you think you're a Paul and you got everything going on, you're the Pharisee of all Pharisees. Well, you're going to come to a place also when you dive into the word of God, you're going to find out that there is a sin or as he drew closer to Jesus, he found out there was sins. There was a lot of sin going on there. And that's not so that God can say, see, absolutely, I'm sending you to hell because you're the worst person ever. Because as you come and look into the word of God as if it's a mirror and you see yourself how disgusting and awful and dirty you are, and then he just closes up and says, see, that's why I'm justified in sending you. Rather, it's to say, 
yeah, you see how dirty and disgusting, and there's problems that are there that need to be taken care of, and yet here's what I'm doing. I'm standing in the way of that, and I want to cleanse you. I want to bring things to your life that you've never experienced before. I want to bring this healing. I want to bring this redemption to you. And it's such a good thing that he puts that mirror in front of our face so that we ask us and it pleads with us to cry out to our Savior and say, I got to have you, Lord. There is no other way. I have to have you. Who can discern his heirs? Declare me innocent from hidden sins. He asked God, please forgive me for the things that I'm doing that I don't even know I'm doing yet, that I have sin that I'm not even realizing that's sin yet. Then he goes on, he says, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins, which presumptuous sins, that's getting into sins that are committed knowingly, and even some people are proud of them. As David Guzik says, I, I, I liked how he just listed down, he says that this presumptuous sin is when we know better, when our friends have warned us about something, uh, when God has warned us about it, when we have warned others of the same, or when we plan it and relish in it. That's presumptuous sin. And so David is asking the Lord, he's like, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Don't let me be ruled by my desires. Don't let me be ruled with being taken away and diving into these temptations that are before me. Rescue me from this, O Lord. That dominion, it's so neat. I mean, what if, what if Paul had Romans 6 in his hand? The hope that he would see in Jesus Christ, which he looked forward to, but to understand it complete and clearly... If you turn over to Romans 6, it's one of my favorite chapters in Romans. Maybe even in the New Testament because it's huge impact in my own life. Romans chapter 6. Verse 14. This is what Paul is saying as he goes through and he talks about sin and what it has in your mortal bodies. He goes through and says, you know, it's not going to rain. Uh, do not present your members as, as in, uh, instruments to the sin. And then he gets to verse 14 and he says, For sin will not have, will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Sin cannot have dominion over you. Here he is crying out, Please, Lord, don't let this have dominion over me. But in grace, which had not come yet in David's time, it only comes through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice, we have that, guys. Sin is not, does not have dominion over us. Look on to also verses 17 and 18. It says, But thanks be to God. I mean, praise, you know, just thank you, Lord, that you were not, that you were once who slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Verse 18, and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. No longer slaves of sin, right? Thanks be to God that we're no longer those slaves. We're blameless, innocent of great transgression when we're rescued from him. And this is what a, David is crying out to. So back over in Psalm 19, just to close, if the worship team wants to go ahead and come on back up, he says, let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. This is not saying that he's going to have the perfect life, that he's going to be the perfect man. We know that that is, it's unattainable in these bodies. The flesh always cries out and always wants to return to sin. What he's talking about is in Jesus Christ or in looking forward to that, that in God, that's the only place we can find blamelessness. In the Lord is the only place we can find that innocent of great transgressions because he's going to wipe it out. And he even says later in one of his psalms, you know, he separates the sin as far as the east is from the west. And that example of them taking in the blood to the tabernacle, and it was set up like that. It was east to west when you walked in the doors. You walked in the doors, you gave your sacrifice, and guess what? You walked the other way. It was that symbolism of you laying down that sin before him so he can deal with it, and you walked the other way. 
And he's saying that that's as separated as far as the east is from the west. Awesome picture that he keeps showing us. And then I love this last uh, part where he just says this to him and he clears it up. He says, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, help my mouth and my heart to be acceptable before you. And then he cries out and he, he puts God exactly where he should be in our life. And he calls him and he says, oh Lord, my rock, that absolute strength, that refuge, that place we can go back to, and my redeemer. And that's speaking to that kinsman redeemer. That family member that's come and rescued us out of slavery, has paid that debt so that we can come out of there, our absolute redeemer. And I want to leave you guys with this. I want to read something that I thought was awesome and just how um, the governor of South Dakota, she, she gives a little bit of a um, personal, uh, right? And I found this, uh, I went and looked it up. It said it was for real, so I hope it is. Um, but anyways, uh, her, Christy is her name, Noam. Uh, the governor of South Dakota, awesome woman. If you guys ever saw something, maybe you've seen some of the things she's done for her state. She's, yeah, great. So she, here's what she writes. March 10th is a tough day. On March 10th, 2020, South Dakota diagnosed our first five cases of COVID-19, including our first death. For many of us across the state, life changed that, that day as we adapted to slow spread of the virus. For my family, the day had a double meaning. March 10th, 1994 is also the day that my dad passed away in an accident on our family farm. My dad was a cowboy. He was the toughest person I've ever known. Ever since I was a little girl, I wanted to grow up and be like him. When he died, I was just 22 years old, and I had to take over as general manager of the family business. The months immediately after he died were filled with unending challenges and hundreds of questions. I remember thinking repeatedly, I wish I could just ask Dad. I had no idea how we were going to keep the family business going without him, but I was determined that we weren't going to fail. A couple of months after he was killed, I finally got the courage to clean out his pickup. If you have a farmer or rancher in your life, you know they often live out of their pickups. Everything important can be found in the cab. I got his pickup and began I got into his pickup and began pulling items out of the center console and putting them in a box. I found a set of pliers, a baby Ruth candy bar, that was his favorite, notebooks, pens, tools, and then I found a tiny tape recorder, like the kind the doctor dictates to. I pushed the play button and heard my dad's voice. My eyes started to fill with tears. I looked down into the console and saw several more tapes, almost a dozen in all. One by one, I put them in the tape recorder and listened to Dad talk about crop decisions, soil types, cows, weather, markets, and what to do if they're ever caught in a tough financial situation. I realized that here in my hands were all the answers that I needed, straight from him in his voice. In that moment, I felt a strange sort of peace settle over me. The scripture talks about a peace that passes all understanding. It was almost as if God was saying to me, I will provide, stop worrying, you'll be okay, your family will be okay, I've got this. I had the answers, I just needed to get to work. Dad was the hardest worker that I knew, he led by example, by action, but that day his words changed everything. I made a decision that day to be like my dad, a person of words and of action because both matter. That's why I ran for office. I'm committed to always serving the people of this great state with both words and action. I will do what I say, and I will always tell you what I'm doing. That's, why I approached this, that's how I approached this last, past year the way that I did. It's been a tough year. Some South Dakota families have experienced a terrible tragedy of love, uh, losing a loved one, and my heart breaks for each of them. But no matter how tough the past year was, South Dakotans are, much, are so much tougher. 
And that toughness has gotten us through this marathon together. May God bless you and your families in 2021. There are so many things that just, it's awesome. Guys, I would say the same thing, that we, and you guys are crying out, and you're wondering, how do I do this life? How do I run my family? How do I deal with my kid that's got these problems? How do I pray for my kid that's walked away from you, Lord? How do I deal with school? How do I deal with everything that's happened in my life, all these crises? And you go and you find in that console that there's the word of God waiting just to be spoken to you. That we can go to that. He's got all the answers. Everything that we need is right here, guys. He's already given it to us so that we can keep running the farm. <laughs> we can keep doing it the way that Dad would, right? That we can do our lives like what he's called us to do. And it's all just right here. And so I encourage you guys, please, Get into the Word of God consistently. Make it a daily thing. Think about all the things you guys go out and spend your money and time on. And in comparison to this, like David said, it's worth nothing. The finest gold and the best honey you could ever find is not even in comparison to this. The best tool you guys could ever buy and the best food, the best accessory, whatever, is not even compared to this. So spend your time in this. Get to know Him and see how He wants you to do life and to draw close to Him. Lord, we love You and we thank You so much for Your Word and we're blessed by it, Lord. I thank you that you put people on this earth, even you know, like, like Christy and, and just the awesome things that you've been ministering through her life and that she can minister to others in that powerful position that you put her in, Lord. I pray for her, too, that she continue to fight for you. Lord, I pray for this congregation here, Lord, that we would continue to look to you, or we would dive into your word, not just here on Sundays, um, which we're so privileged and thankful for that we get to do that with this freedom. Lord, I pray that everybody would take it so seriously that each day that they would find that time and not just find it, but, Lord, they'd set that time aside, that that would be one of the most important things of their day is to sit down before you and talk to you and go through your word, that you would give us counsel, Lord, and how to do different things and just how to run the farm. Lord, what blessing you've given us, and we're so thankful for your word and you proclaiming yourself all over the sky. Lord, I pray that we would just bow down before you and worship you, and, Lord, I ask that we would just be able to bring joy to your ears. And we love you so much, Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen.